The epistle is from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Words can be very slippery. Maybe you've had the experience of somebody using a word in one way, but expecting you to think that they mean it in a different way. The definitions of words, the meanings of words can be slippery, and a scoundrel, a wicked person, often uses that to their advantage, speaking out of both sides of their mouths. Words can be slippery, and that often leads to doubt and confusion. And so often we kind of nod along with things, thinking that we understand what we're hearing, but we don't really. And then when push comes to shove, there's a question and uncertainty. And that's a problem, especially, especially when it comes to God's word. God wants you to be certain. He wants you to be sure. He doesn't want you to be kind of sure that things are going to go okay for you for the sake of Jesus. He doesn't want you to hope in the sense of wishing that you might have blessings in this life and for eternity. He doesn't want you to feel good about what happened to Reese and Reed this morning as though it were something for this life only, that maybe things will go better for them because they've been baptized. No, he wants you to be certain and sure about eternal things, that what happened to Reese And read today was nothing less than death and resurrection. Although you could not see it, although it looked like a splash of water, something magnificent and beyond comprehension happened today. They died and rose again. They've been buried with Jesus. Their lives are now bound up with his. That is sure and certain, more sure and more certain than anything, than that hymnal that you're holding in your hands, than the air that you breathe, than the life that you have, more certain than that is this fact, that Jesus has saved these dear children from death. And he would do the same for you as well. He would give you certainty. That's the goal. Certainty. But words can be slippery, and so today we're going to talk about how words can mislead us into uncertainty and doubt. We've talked this way about the word love often, and everyone knows that love gets all kinds of strange meanings attached to it, People often think that love is about the sentiments, that it's a mere emotion. It's the butterflies and the attraction or the longing. Those are components of love. But love, love is something different. Love is something concrete and solid, something that acts and sacrifices even when the feelings and the butterflies and the affection and all of that is gone. Love is stable and steady. If it is not like that, then what's the point? If it just comes and goes, if it is fleeting like a vapor, like smoke, then what is the point? Love, love is often misunderstood in that way. So also is hope. St. Paul uses the word hope today in our epistle lesson. He says, hope does not put us to shame. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
But you know how the word hope is most often used in our world. It is most often used simply to describe a wish. I hope that the fish are biting. I hope that we don't get any more snow. I hope that my car starts this morning. I hope means I wish that this were true, but I really don't have any certainty about it. I don't have any assurance for it. The fish may or may not bite. We might get another storm. The car might not start. And hope is kind of diminished. It's brought low to the place of kind of being a flight or a fancy, a nice thought, wishful thinking, something faint and ethereal, something like smoke. This is how the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, describes all earthly things. They're like a vapor. They just, they just float out in the air and you can kind of see them, but the moment you try to grasp at them, they try, you try to hold on to them, they're gone. There's nothing there. That's the way our world so often thinks about hope. It's the way we use the word most commonly. It makes me shudder to think that many Christians imagine that is what the Bible means when it talks about hope. Something faint and wispy, something you can't really lay hold on, something that just sort of disappears, a nice thought, wishful thinking. That is what happens, unfortunately, when preaching makes light of God's word. When preachers don't take God's word seriously, when preachers act as if God's word does not have real, concrete, tangible impact on people's lives. If it's just nice thoughts, it's a hallmark kind of a thing. Preachers are often very responsible for making hope hopeless, for turning it into well wishes and flights of fancy. But it also happens in the ears and hearts of hearers. When you listen to God's word, do you let it take root in your hearts? Or do you treat it like all of the other sentiments that float around in our world, things that tickle us for a moment, things that feel good for a minute, but don't have any real lasting value? Is that how you regard God's word? Or, or do you take it as the very breath of God himself, the one who created everything concrete and stable and sure? Where there are nice thoughts but no substance, and where all the right words are used but they don't mean anything, then everything falls apart. And we can rattle through the list of good things that the Bible talks about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those wonderful things, but we don't really imagine that they're real. They're just nice thoughts. They just sort of float out there, and so we don't grasp at them. We don't lay hold of them. We don't believe that they're possible. And that is hopelessness. That's the opposite of hope. That's despair. Where there are sentiments, but no action, where there are feelings, but no action, then we end up in this same situation. So where there is talk about how we are all sinners, but sin is never actually dealt with, then we treat sin as something faint and fleeting. Where sin is never actually confessed and forgiven, where it's never truly spoken of, it leaves us hopeless and in despair. Where the hard-hearted and rebellious, where those who reject Jesus are regarded as exactly the same as the saints, their hope, hope is treated as something meaningless. God's word is treated as something empty and void. But that is not, that is not the way the Bible speaks. The Bible speaks concretely. 
in facts, in things that are hard and resilient, often too hard for us. We don't like how hard and immovable they are, how sure and certain, how concrete they are. But that's the way the Bible talks about hope. Hope means that you behave differently. It means that your life changes. Just like Jacob's life changed, you heard it in our Old Testament lesson, he had been on the run for 20 years. Things had gone very poorly for him because he had tricked his brother Esau into giving him his birthright and the blessing from his father Isaac. He took by deceit. And so Jacob was on the run for 20 years because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. And now Jacob is on his way home, and he doesn't know what he's going to find with his brother Esau. Is he still angry at me? Is he coming to meet me with soldiers to kill me? I don't know what's going to happen. But, but, Jacob had been sent home by God. And God had given him sure and certain promises. God swore by his own name that he would take care of Jacob, that he would protect him and bless him. And so Jacob was approaching his brother Esau with confidence, knowing that whatever came, whatever his brother did to him, God was on his side. That is, until the night of our lesson, when God himself shows up and starts wrestling with Jacob. He's fighting with Jacob. He seems to be his enemy. He seems to be at odds with him. And Jacob can't win. Is God on my side or is he against me? Will I be blessed or will I be cursed? Well, what does Jacob do? He grabs hold of God. He does not let go. He grips him tight. He does not treat him as someone who's just going to run away, as something faint and vaporous. He doesn't treat God like smoke, much less does he treat God's words of promises as if they are vain. Instead, he holds on to them as something sure and certain he does not let go, so that when God asks him, what do you want from me? Jacob says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I expect you to bless me. Because you swore you would. That's not just a wish and a fancy. That's certainty. That is sure. That is expectation of something that will happen. It's just a matter of when. That's how Jacob approaches the situation. So also does that poor mother with her daughter. She comes to Jesus seeking help for her daughter. And she is rebuffed at every turn. First of all, Jesus won't even talk to her. And then he insults her, calling her a dog. And any one of us, at any point in that conversation, I think if you're honest about your heart, we would have said, I don't have time for this. This isn't worth it. This gamble is not going to pay off. The risk is too great. I'm out of here. But what does she do? She draws closer and closer to Jesus and lays hold of him more and more firmly and insists that he give her a blessing. Why? Because he said he would. Because his word for her was life and salvation. She lays hold of him and does not let go. She's not just wishing that Jesus would take care of her or save her daughter. She is expecting it. She knows it belongs to her because of God's promises. That's the way the Bible speaks of hope. It's not something faint and wispy. It's not just a wish, but it is expectation. And that is what Paul is describing in our lesson today. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And you need to know that that hope is certain. It's not the way the world hopes that we hope as Christians. 
You're not here all today, I hope, just sort of gambling that this will pay off. Just kind of throwing up a Hail Mary, hoping that this will work out. I hope that you are here today because you know that your Savior loves you. That he wants to forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Because you are clinging to him. You're laying hold of him. You're refusing to let go of him until he blesses you like he said he would. That kind of certainty is what the Bible wants to give us, what Jesus wants to give us. And we should review for a moment what is most certain. The things that are most certain, the things that are most concrete, the things that are hardest to get around, those are the things that we try to get around, the things we try to dodge. So here are the two most important certainties in the Bible, the things that should govern your hope. The first certainty is this, that God judges sin, that sin leads to death. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. God means it. God's justice is not like the world's justice where you can hope, you can wish that things will work out for you, though you've committed a crime, maybe, maybe the trial will get bogged down, maybe not all of the evidence is known, maybe you can get some time off for good behavior or early release on parole, or maybe you can escape on a technicality, maybe they sinned against you, maybe the cops didn't do everything right, maybe, maybe you're really the victim here. That's the way things work in our world's justice, but not so with God. God is not like a father, a weak father who threatens and blusters but never carries out what he threatens. He means it. There is no wiggle room. Sin is willful rebellion against God and sinners will not enter the kingdom of God. Full stop. And if those words make you uncomfortable, listen again. Sinners will not enter the kingdom of God. Do you not know, St. Paul says, that the unrighteous will not enter the kingdom of God. Do you not be deceived? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, and he means to cover the whole list of ways you can break the commandments, none of those people will enter the kingdom of God. That is certain. It is painfully certain. It is embarrassingly certain, uncomfortably certain. We don't want it to be certain, but it is immovable and true. You can see how much we don't want it to be certain with all of our attempts to excuse ourselves or to get out of the condemnation for sin or pretend like God doesn't really mean it when he says it or to say that we're not so bad. It's not true. Take that as true and certain. Do not think that you can keep your sins and be saved. In fact... It is precisely from your sins which you need salvation. And that is why this second certainty is our greatest treasure. You can heap up all the wealth in the world. You can have everything that you've ever wanted and nothing would compare to this certainty. That while we were still weak, while you and I were dying in our sins, dead in our sins, with not a hope in the world, Jesus died for us. He suffered on the cross for every single one of your sins. Not just in a general way, not in a 
hopeful, wishful thinking kind of a way, but as surely as blood poured out of his hands and his feet and his side, as surely as he breathed his last breath on the cross, as surely as they saw him dying there and were convinced that he was dead, as sure and certain as that is, so also is it sure and certain that he did it for you. If that was not true, if we're just here about wishes or nice thoughts, then we have no business being here. We're lost. But instead, if that is solid and concrete, something that you can lay hold of, then it is something that shapes and changes everything that follows. So that your life of hopefulness as a Christian is not a life of wishes, but of expectation. It's not a question of if you will be saved, but when. It is not a question of whether or not God can love you, but how great is his love? Can you comprehend it? It is not a question of whether or not you've heaped up too many sins for Jesus to take to the cross. It is simply a question of whether or not you believe that he has already taken them all away. Worldly hope does not understand this. It doesn't expect anything. It says things like, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if all of my sins were forgiven, if I didn't suffer from guilt, if I didn't have to be afraid of death, it would be nice, wouldn't it? That's not the way the Bible talks. It's a fact. Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again, and your life is now hid with him through faith. Just as surely as Reed and Reese have lives that are hidden with him for all eternity, surely you as well have a Savior who loves you and means to save you. The only question is whether or not you will regard these things as facts, as true and certain, or whether you let the devil sneak in and convince you that maybe they're not so true at all. Will you believe that God showed his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you? Will you live your life in expectation of eternal life? Will you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, knowing that heaven awaits, or, or will you hedge and accumulate things for this life in case it doesn't work out in eternity? Will you abandon your sin and receive forgiveness? Or will you hold on to it, imagining that maybe God doesn't really mean it? He doesn't really mean what he says about judgment. Will you wrestle against the devil, against your sinful desires, holding firmly on to Jesus, who fights for you? Or will you give up the fight? thinking that it's just not possible to overcome. Will you stubbornly insist that God's word is true, that his blessings, his promise of reward for obedience, his assurance that you are saved by trusting in his mercy, that all of these things are as unshakable as the foundation of the world and more so. When the world has passed away, these things will still be true. Or will you let go of him, preferring to live on uncertain, shaky ground to the certainty of the gospel. God wants you to be certain. Believe his promises. If you find yourself, if ever you find yourself in the realm of wishful thinking, abandon it. Go back to God's word where everything is concrete and solid. Return. Return again to what is sure and certain beyond measure. And rejoice. St. Paul wants you to rejoice. Rejoice in this. The glory of God is revealed to you in your Savior, in Christ Jesus, who loves you 
and will do anything to save you. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.